Welcome to Booked, where two guys tell you about the books they're reading. I'm Livia Snedden. And I'm Rob Olson. The book that we are talking about this episode is Inspection by Josh Mallerman, a book that we have been looking forward to. I don't know, it's probably about a year since like the cover first showed up, right? On on the social medias and stuff. Yeah, at least it feels that way if it's not. But it's interesting because, you know, the big publishers, it always takes them like a year or 18 months, right? But in this one, they suddenly just magically mm. moved up the release date by like five or six weeks, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, yeah. I wonder uh, why that is. Maybe hmm. we'll maybe we'll dig into that a little bit. Dig into that a little bit. Uh, if any, if, <laughs> for anybody who has been not been listening, um, I'll read Josh's bio. But I want to say first that I believe that every mainstream release of his we have covered uh, and done a review of. There have been some like limited release uh, books like Goblin and stuff we haven't read, but Bird Box, Black Mad Wheel, Unburied Carol, Inspection, House at the Bottom of a Lake. That's everything, right? Mainstream? Uh, yes, I believe right. so. Cool. Uh, so here's the bio. Anyway, I'm just kind of rambling at this point. Josh Mallerman is the New York Times bestselling author and one of two singer-songwriters for the rock band The High Strung. His debut novel, Bird Box, is the inspiration for the hit Netflix film of the same name. His other novels include Unburied Carol and Inspection. Mallerman lives in Michigan with his fiance, the artist and musician Allison Laco? 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 In my One head, it's always been probably. Laco. Yeah. I feel so um, bad because she probably knows how to pronounce Olsen, and I'm just screwing up her last name. <laughs> yeah, but she probably doesn't know how to pronounce my name. So All right, well, that's, that. there we go. So I feel better. Yeah. Hey, something occurred to me when we were reading this bio. Do you think that maybe this book got moved up because of the ridiculous success of the Bird Box movie? Yeah, that could have something to that could have something to do with it. Like it got moved up because the cor- uncorrected proof. Uh, that I, I have in in my hands says on sale April 23rd, 2019 and mm-hmm. the actual published date is two days from when we're recording this which will be March 19th. Correct. Um, yeah, I... For anybody that doesn't get what, what I was talking about there, so Josh wrote Bird Box uh, a few years ago. Phenomenal book. Um, it got made into a Netflix movie which then catapulted Bird Box like what three or four years after its release onto the New York times bestseller list, um, thereby making Josh a New York times bestseller. So my thought is bird box is a big hit and they go, well, that's cool. Cause we've got his next book. It's coming out in April. And then someone goes, Hey, would you say his name was Mallerman? I'm pretty sure he's on the New York times bestseller list this week. And they go, Oh shit, <laughs> let's get his book out sooner. And suddenly the uh, the mad black wheel of publishing moved faster and uh, <laughs> and got his book out five weeks earlier. So hmm, we're yeah. very excited. We've been sitting on this thing since January, I think, yep. is when we got these. Um, and it's time. It's now time for us to talk about inspection. Here's a synopsis. Jay is a student at a school deep in a forest far away from the rest of the world. Jay is one of only 26 students, all of whom think of the school's enigmatic founder as their father. Jay's peers are the only family he has ever had. The students are being trained to be prodigies of art, science, and athletics, and their life at the school is all they know and all they are allowed to know. But Jay suspects that there is something out there beyond the pines that the founder does not want him to see, and he's beginning to ask questions. What is the real purpose of this place? Why can the students never leave? And what secrets is their father hiding from them? Meanwhile, on the other side of the forest, in a school very much like Jay's, a girl named Kay is asking the same questions. Jay has never seen a girl, and Kay has never seen a boy. As Kay and Jay work to investigate the secrets of their two strange schools, they come to discover something even more mysterious. Each other. Hell yeah. That's all I got. (laughs) All right, keep reading. Yeah. yeah, I want to start by saying that I, I did not, if I read the synopsis, it was so long ago that I forgot about that last paragraph, the one about yeah. K. So even in my head, up until a half hour ago when I pulled the synopsis, I was like, man, we have to stop about halfway into the book. We have to be very careful. The water we tread for uh, for this. Um, so, yeah. Here's uh, the rundown. Here's here's me restating the synopsis. <laughs> uh, in the middle of the forest, there is a school. 
Um, there are 26, or at one point there were 26 boys in it, and they are named A through Z, which is pretty convenient if there are 26 of them. And uh, they are raised without the knowledge of the opposite sex. And when I say that, that doesn't mean they've never seen a woman or never talked to a woman. Their lives are such that women have been completely erased. So um, books they read have no women in it. Um, stories they're told by the people, the staff at the school, contain nothing about women. They read fiction books that are written specifically for them with um, settings that they're familiar with. So it seems like all the books take place around the school that they they live at um so they have no idea that there is uh women out there at all as a matter of fact it starts off with them talking about how they all came from the living trees they all grew on a tree and that's where they came from yeah and i was thinking about this because if you just think about it at surface level it's like oh they grew up without girls but it's so much deeper than that like their entire world was like crafted to be absent that and that's like way more fucked up i think if to think about like you were like you were explaining um and uh, so right off the bat the the tone of the book for me was uh kind of like there is an insidious insidiousness to what's going on uh because the in order to reach kind of the goals that the the school has they're like overtly and massively lying to these like innocent children. Um, and it just makes it so evil in a, in a not violent way, but like, because it's real and because it has like a lasting impact on the children, I feel like it's much darker in a way. I don't know how you feel about that. Um, it's, it's tough because, and I mean, as we get talking more of the story, I think this will be a little bit less linear of a review um, than maybe we normally do. Um, the goal, as stated in the synopsis, which is which is probably inaccurate, <laughs> and I'll explain why in a second, is that if they have the distraction of women removed from their lives, they can focus on their studies and excel at whatever it is that they're working on. Now, the reason I say the synopsis is a little off, um, the athletics part, like you could never let one of these boys be an athlete because that would mean eventually they'd get out into the real world. And the plan is for that to never, ever happen. I mean, the long-term plan, right, even if it's not stated succinctly in the book, is that they will live their entire lives in this area, excelling at science art or whatever, but that the world will never, or that they will never be out in the world doing this. I mean, do you get that feeling too? That's tricky because like, uh, and maybe we're getting a little ahead of, like, we might want to explain more of the story first, but like one of the, uh, so basically, uh, I'm going to break down the story a little bit and then I'll get to my point. Um, the story starts out very much from the perspective of the boys, but not just the boys. There are parts early on and throughout the book where we see things from the perspective of um, the dude that's running the show and other um, non-boys as well. And so we're given context of what the goal is from their from the perspective of the non-boys. Um, and and it, I'm pretty sure that very early on, like there were some red flags about the process or the system that they have in place too, based on who they chose to hire and things like that. But uh, I feel like part of the contracts that the people signed when they signed up to be, I guess, staff for this, let's call it an experiment, was there was like a, a time limit of something like 20 years. Does that sound right? Yes. Yes. So for me, it was it was unclear whether that meant that at the age where these children are now fully adults, like probably graduates of college, like the the equivalent of graduates of college, like I didn't know if that meant that they were going to be introduced to the world, like hey, look what we did, or like their discoveries would be kind of siphoned back into the world because like if they never went back into the world somehow, how would anybody ever know that the experiment was a su experiment was a success? That is a good point, and one I want to follow up on yeah. offline. So, spo in spoiler talk, yeah. <laughs> we'll, we'll talk about that a little bit because my my thoughts get to be a little spoilery on a little this. Spoiler, so, yeah. 
Yeah. So um, as Rob said, we we pick up kind of um, learning about this this school, this place. I don't even know what what to call it. Um, through the eyes of boys, but boys who are 12 years old. So that's where we we start following the story. And then, of course, we have, I don't want to say flashbacks, but, you know, callbacks to, to previous times on things when they were younger that occurred and memories they have of um, other boys who may or may not, you know, still be around and, and that kind of thing. So 12-year-olds, but advanced 12-year-olds, because their whole life has been <sighs> squeezed into a very structured um, education and and like a goal-driven ideology. So it's not that they don't have free time and they have friends and they're not actually followed by cameras or anything like that. So they're given the freedom to be kids within the confines of this program. So they, they have friends, they have inside jokes, they have kids they like better than other kids and stuff. So for all intents and purposes, they grow up fairly normally if you were to send your kid maybe to a boarding school or something where they never got to come home with the exception of the lack of the opposite sex. Yeah. And the, and the control that is exerted is very interesting. So at the very beginning of the book, the book starts out by saying like, no boy has ever failed an inspection. And so uh, this is where the, the book's title comes into play An inspection. I think it's every morning. The kids have to, when they wake up, they get called in for an inspection they all line up in a hallway. They get called in one at a time. They strip completely naked and are basically examined by inspectors um, to see if they've contracted any diseases or, or unclean, basically, is what it is. And so, like, part of the control that's exerted on the kids is um, you act a specific way and and uh, you have to do these certain things in order to not become unclean. And there's these diseases like uh, rots. I think is one and V's. Mm-hmm. Uh, what's the other one? The spore, uh, lack of spores or something like that. It's something weird, but something, anyway. something sores. Yeah. Sores. Yeah. Anyway. Uh, and so the inspection basically, um, is one of their ways of keeping the kids behavior in check because they, they frame what's good behavior and bad behavior around. We'll find out in an, in an inspection. Like if you've been doing this thing, you shouldn't. Yeah, for the most part, it's worked for a long time. We should probably mention this is the first time this experiment's been tried, too. So as we follow, and I know we haven't mentioned any of the other characters yet, but as we follow the, we'll call them staff um, of the school, you know, they're learning as they go. So the structure is there is a man named Richard, um, who the children know is D-A-D, which I often wondered if they actually just called him D-A-D, like their names, their letters right. are names, or if they actually call him dad. It's always done as D-A-D. You know, he, he's learning He's learning as he goes. So he, he's the, the you know, basically the, the man with the idea, and he's hired on people, and they have psychiatrists on staff. And then, as Rob had mentioned, they have a bunch of people who are contracted out um, to work there and, and, you know, signing, a, a what are those called? Um, uh, like non-disclosure, non-disclosure agreements? agreements. Yeah, exactly. Um, but really, I don't even know how much those are needed. I think that all the people involved kind of uh, know that there's something a little wrong with what they're doing and saying something to anybody, not only would they lose um, the very high pay that they have to do these jobs, but would be implicated, right? Like how long do you have to be there before you're not implicated as someone who's decided to run a, a long-term psychological experiment on children? I'm guessing not very long. So if you're in for, you know, you're in for a little bit, you're in for the, for the long haul. Yep. And so kind of the, the tipping point for the story in the beginning is the idea that now that all the boys are turning 12, um, they're going to start to go through puberty and they're going to start to like their bodies are changing, their hormones are changing, their attitudes and, and their personalities are changing. And, um, the concern is since this has never been, you know, tried before as this change is happening, will they be more likely to challenge authority, do things they are not supposed to, uh, do things that could jeopardize, uh, the overall experiment. And, um, also, uh, the idea is kind of introduced that like, what is the staff going to act like having gone through, 
um, this kind of long-term deception for so long, at some point, are they going to also um, start cracking, you know, uh, under the pressure? They have a term for it. It's called the guilts. The guilts. And it comes up. It comes up occasionally in the book that someone might be might have the guilts and that they need to work through their shit and get back on track essentially. Yep. And then, I mean, because it's in the synopsis, I guess we have to talk <laughs> about it, right? The, yeah. So there, there's another, another one of these places, not very far away and you'll never guess what's there. There's an MOM with 26 girls whose names are a through Z um, that have grown up without any idea what a man is. Yep. That's that. So, uh, <laughs> I knew going into this that we were going to have a lot we couldn't spoiler, and there's absolutely going to be a spoiler talk for this. But um, that's that's your premise, dudes. Like, basically, they created this reality in the real world. Like, this takes place in 2018, 2019, so in the present day. Um, hidden away from the world is this place where kids think they grow on trees because there's no other sex to reproduce and um that their entire world is this one building that they live in in the in the courtyard in the forest that surrounds it that's all they know about and the idea is uh outside of these distractions absence the distractions of girls um they're going to be geniuses because they're just focusing on their academic pursuits um and it's just it's it's kind of wacky. <laughs> it's a little out there, and and I want to note, um, kind of as a general, because we, we talked about all the books that we've read from Josh and Bird Box, definitely a supernatural element. The House at the Bottom of the Lake, definitely a supernatural element. Mad Black Wheel, definitely a supernatural definitely. element. Unbury <laughs> Carol. A slight supernatural element, right? Like we even argued a little bit, may not argued about, you know, ghouls and and whatever. But really, you know, there's a woman that can uh, has a disease that makes her look like she's dead and it lasts for days and days. So a little bit of supernatural. This one, I really thought from the um, from the synopsis and stuff, I was like, oh, this is going to be like science fiction, right? Like this is on another planet where mm-hmm. they've separated men from women. It's a colony on Mars or whatever. And it's not, as Rob mentioned, it takes place very much today, very much in, I don't think it's spoiling anything, in Michigan. <laughs> so it takes yep. place, I, I mean, it takes place in the real world, quote unquote, um, which, which is interesting because he went away from Supernatural. And, and this is the first thing that I've, I've read from him long form that didn't contain some element of the Supernatural. Um so it's an interesting transition um, because it, this kind of dystopian separation of, of the sexes and stuff reminds me a little bit of like Ayn Rand's Anthem and stuff, but that had a very kind of sci- science fiction-y feel to it. Mm-hmm. This one is even more disturbing when you really realize that it's taking place today in our world and you realize that it's possible. Yeah, 100% possible. I mean, insane. <laughs> But perfectly possible. And I have some thoughts about that that I wonder if we'll get into here or in spoiler talk. I think I could talk about them here, but maybe we'll do a little offline chat to figure out where the best place is for that. But yeah, absolutely 100% um, grounded in reality. So one thing I want to point out, because we didn't talk much about characters except for like the, the staff side of things. On the, the kids' side of things, um, it's interesting because we're seeing kids that have grown up for 12 years uh, kind of in a bubble and um, very much nurtured to grow academically. And um, you, you see that kids have taken on their own pers- personalities and, and talents and stuff like that within that uh, realm. So that's that's kind of a neat thing. And, and they explore it as the book goes on, um, what the unique characteristics of the boys are and um, how that kind of what that says about the experiment stuff. For example, uh, I think it's Q on the boys side has kind of a spiritual approach to things, which is funny because the, the, the kids are all grow, raised absent any religion or the idea of religion at all. So, um, the fact that this boy 
is kind of filtering the world through like I, I don't want to say ideology, but I think in the in the in the book they said like he was inventing God. And I think there's even a quote that said something like, In the absence of God, one must invent him or something like that. But anyway, that's like a mm-hmm. Yeah. So he's doing that. He's the this particular boy, the way he is reacting to the world is um spirituality is what makes the world make sense to him. And so that's one of the unique, the, not unique, but interesting things about the way this story is told is that as we explore the interactions with the different boys and stuff, we see how their personalities are growing things that we experience in the real world, uh, but in their little bubble. And what a bubble it is. <laughs> we touched on it a little earlier, but I mean, they have everything finely crafted for them. So you know, I thought about this a lot during it because we're, we're introduced to this idea through um, a character named Lawrence Luxley, who is um, he, he's an author. He's the only author they know. So he has penned something like 30 books. And they are I mentioned it earlier. They all take place in or around, um, you know, their their school. And they felt like like a lot of them were kind of like bubblegum, hardy boys, kind of, you know, how, how we solve this problem. And, of course, it's just boys and men in the in the stories. But that's the only literature they have um, exposure to. And I thought like in textbooks, I mean, I guess depending on the textbooks, um, I, I mean, like a science textbook, if you're not actually naming scientists, probably, you know, just has to be, you know, biology would be the only one that, that maybe they're not introduced to or that would it really have to be cut down like like your average math book probably doesn't address things like men and women unless it's <laughs> right. Uh, well, but you know what I mean? Like, in, you know, history, they probably don't get any type of history books. They really don't know there's an outside world. Right. That's all kind of kept from them. Their their entire world is is what they see and hear every day and they have no anything. They they'll watch like a movie, but the movie is custom made for them and they get movie night like once a year or whatever. Like it's not a frequent thing. So there's no Netflix, there's no Hulu. Everything is cultivated 100% for them. So I mean, when you say in a bubble, that that's like the 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 strongest bubble you could ever have right like it's not shielding you from the outside world it's creating a world for you to live in um but luxley is an interesting character because he was a an unpublished um writer who you know was approached to do this gig and he's done it and you know he he kind of we we see through his eyes the going back and forth about how successful he is even though nobody outside these you know the the walls of this school know who he is but he frequently reflects back on his time as a struggling author at his little, you know, author club that he hangs out with at the bar. And he's a little bit of a douchebag, but he's the the person through whose eyes we start to see guilt. So he's a he's an interesting character, and I, I thought he was worth mentioning. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, and that's the thing. As the book carries on, probably to the point where we're teetering on spoilers, like the the points where you see the staff, the grown-ups kind of start going like, I don't know, are really strong points in the book because everybody kind of figures it, like everybody kind of knows like, eh, this is kind of a fucked up thing we're doing. And um, it's just a matter of like the way that they're, they're structured to be there is they're getting paid out after fill it, fulfilling a contract of a certain amount of time. If they go before then, um, you know, there's a thing called the corner, which we didn't mention. Um, but the corner is not a good place, and they're worried about going to the corner <laughs> if uh, if they do something wrong, if they, they step out of line. Yeah, the corner. Um, which is funny because that's, you know, it, it, how much of this, like Richard being DAD, right, and the corner, and, and yep. even... Even the the fake diseases that they could get, you could almost picture, you know, yourself telling a a, a five year old like, oh, you don't want to touch that, you'll get cooties, right, to keep yeah. them from doing something. So it's funny how much of this correlates back to how you would maybe um, discipline a child. You, you mm-hmm. know what I mean? So you use these these fake threats of cooties or V's in this case, you know, but how. If that's all that they know and they have no exposure to knowing cooties isn't a real thing, how they're 12 years old and still worried about the rots. Yep. You know what I yeah. mean? So it's, it's yeah. And the, the cool thing about the corner specifically is like 
they are raised to think that the corner is like the worst possible, um, you know, consequence of doing something. And that's all they know is like, you never want to go to the corner. But then when we see things from the adults point of view, they're also afraid of the corner. And that makes it so much more powerful because like this one, you know, like (laughs) while the other stuff is so obviously just, you know, cooties, the corner is even more sinister because like the adults are in on the fear of it as well. Mm -hmm. For sure. You know, like I don't, how much of this happens in, in real life? So I was telling someone (laughs) about this book and I, I was doing it this afternoon. Someone had asked me, Hey, you reading anything good? And I said, well, this is what I'm reading. And I told him what it was about. And he goes, Oh, that reminds me of something I read. I don't have details, but he was talking about a, a nutcase, um, father whose whose mother was also a nutcase and and was like a fortune teller of some sort and had told him he was going to have three girls, um, and they were all going to be like um, prodigious rock stars, <laughs> and that when he had three girls, he essentially would force them to play and create music, right. but without ever having heard music before. So That's he was up. teaching them instruments without the you know so from when the time you're you're you know, two, three years old, right? You're hearing music in the car with mom and dad or whatever, or you're singing songs at school. They had never heard music, but were being forced to create music. So things like this happen. And I think about things like, you know, military boarding schools that probably operate very similarly to this school, with the exception of you, you have knowledge of the outside world, obviously, and you have knowledge of the opposite sex. But Focusing a child's mind in the direction that you really want it to go, um, you know, I, I guess can pay off in the real world. Now, is it ever done to this extreme? I, I don't know. Not that anybody's been caught doing it. But I also think back to um, Mike Tyson. I listened to an interview with Mike Tyson um, a few months ago. And I didn't realize from the time he was 12, he was turned over to um, essentially turned over to this guy who was his boxing coach. Yeah. And all he lived and breathed was boxing and not just boxing, but that in order to be successful, you had to destroy your opponent. And that's what was, you know, hammered into his head from the time he was, I don't know, was like 11 or 12 to the time when he was like the world champion at like 19 and like literally the scariest man alive. Mm-hmm. So, you know, there's some truth in what Mallerman writes here about focusing somebody. And I think we already do it to a certain extent. Um, yeah, not to the extreme that this book does, but like, I mean, right, the example yeah. that I think of is uh, gymnasts. Um, yeah, sure. If you want to have any chance of being a successful gymnast, I think you have to start when you're like old enough to practically old enough to walk, right? Like you have to be mm-hmm. a very small child and make that discipline your entire life. Because, like, they're, you know, how old are they when they go to the Olympics? They're in their early teens at the most, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. But, like, I'm sure 13, 14, yeah. Probably pre puberty, I'm, 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 I'm guessing, is because, like, then their bodies change and, you know, or whatever. Right. But, like, so, yeah, to a degree, I think that there is that fanatical discipline that exists. But, but, uh, I, and, and he might just be in a way exaggerating it with the way that he did it. There, I don't think that there's, I mean, I guess academically there is stuff like that where parents might raise their kids with a very specific academic goal from a young age but i don't know i don't know obviously it's not this far and i think we're thinking in in terms of what we're used to in the united states now i i don't know for a fact but just think can you think to yourself might there be some countries where this is more (laughs) of a reality yes of course you know what I mean? And when you said gymnast, I mean, I know. Um, and if you ever watch oh. uh, being Romanian, <laughs> if you ever watch like the Nadia Comaneci story. Yeah, yeah. She lived in like a gymnast camp from the time she was a little girl. Like, you know, she had family, but she didn't live with them. She lived with the gymnasts. Right. Yeah. So, you know, how different is that from this book? Well, a little bit, but not not so far out there as for this book to be considered unrealistic, I guess, is my point. And here is, I think this is the point where I want to step into my, uh, the things that this book made me think of, um, because I'm reading through this book, uh, and one of the things that came to mind now I've read some, uh, reviews about the book that, you know, talk about 
feminism and gender equality and and things like that and they talk about like the whole idea of like frank you know frankenstein's monster and things like that like mad scientist type experiments what this book got me thinking about was um i had a general thought which was this is what happens when someone who isn't a scientist believes that they're right about something scientific which in a broader perspective is your flat earthers and your anti-vaxxers and stuff like that. Um, I can see that. I, I can see the flip side of it too, though. And again, not that I would suggest that anything that happened in this book was right, but through the eyes of the book, we were proven that their theories were proven to be true, at least up until the, the point where we jump on, right? These kids excelled at things well beyond um, somebody in the normal world, quote unquote, um, sure. following yeah. the same path. Yeah. You know, at 12, they're basically like college level um, practitioners of, of certain things. There's a character mentioned Kay in the, in the, um, in the synopsis, who's a girl who does the, who does drawings like the ones you see on, uh, on your social media where you're like, what, that's not a photograph. That was just drawn with like one big pen. Like that's who she is. Um, but she's that at a super young age, uh, because that's what she was crafted to be. But the counterpoint so, of that is like, if you did that with a, a group of kids that were mixed boys and girls, you probably would get the same result. Um, yeah, and, I guess like, yeah, the, the false, I guess the false equivalent or whatever you want to call it is like taking the girls out of the equation, made the boys better taking the boys out of the equation, made the girls better. But I mean, because they have nothing to like uh, contrast it against. I mean, except for the real world, but the real world right. has, has produced people that are more prodigious than these kids. Well, yes, yes. And that's, and that's something that came up when I was reading the book too, is that, yes, there's always going to be, you know, Mozart's always going to be whatever, whoever is the best composer of all time. Right. And that one of these kids is probably not going to Trump him where this experiment, um, the, 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 judging if it works or not is did you produce someone equivalent or close to Mozart where, where you have 26 kids that are all, all near the best at what they do. Do you follow what I'm saying? I, yeah, I, I know that, but yeah, but again, if, to put it in basketball terms, cause we've talked a lot of basketball over the last few episodes, it would, they all be Michael Jordan level players where 26 of 26 get to be that good versus one in a million or 10 million or whatever Michael Jordan is in, in his world. You know, if you could prove beyond a reasonable doubt that you pr produce 10 Michael Jordans out of 26, instead of one out of 200 million, then there's probably an argument that it worked. Uh, well, and then you'd have to base those, uh, probably getting into the, the, the weeds here a little bit, but like all you would have to do is compare those kids to students of mixed gender schools that have high achieving students that are focused on like, you know, similar academics and see what is the difference? Is it significantly better? Is it not significantly better? And like, I'm thinking of even in Chicago, Lane tech, the high school produces mm -hmm. like something like a hundred times, hundred percent more or like hundred. What is it? 10 times more like PhDs, you know, students than the, you know, other, uh, similar high schools in the Chicagoland area, something like that. So like you can find those schools out there that, you know what I'm saying? Are, are doing the same thing absent the separation of gender and the insanity of, <laughs> of doing that. Oh yeah. It's fucking crazy. Look, I'm, <laughs> I'm playing devil's advocate. Here. I know. <laughs> also, maybe I should have gone to lane tech cause I could have, and I chose not to. You want to know why Rob? Why? You don't want to take a bus there. I lived across the street from a high school that I could go to versus yeah. yeah trucking. I don't want to say halfway across town, but you know, quarter way across town to get to late tech. You should, you should probably should have gone there anyway. Uh, <laughs> that's, that's the insanity of it though. And like, that's, and that's what it made me think of was your flat earthers or anti-vaxxers who get an idea in their head and just push for doing whatever they can to make that the results of their study. I don't know. Just a thought. 
Are we ready to go on to spoiler talk? I, I feel like must. there's nothing else I can say without spoiling anything. So for those of you, for the uninitiated, spoiler talk occurs over on our Patreon page at patreon.com slash booked. Every now and then, which is about 75% of the time when we read a book um, and we want to talk about things, um, that's where it happens. So usually those are 5 to 10, 15 minute episodes um, that uh, have no setup or whatever. It's literally something you would listen to um, adjacent <coughs> to this. So we're going to do that now in the event that you're interested in that. It's a dollar per month to get you that spoiler talk. Again, that's patreon.com slash booked, and uh, we'll be right back. All right, we are back from spoiler talk. Uh, a, a lot of ground covered there, so here's what I'll say. Uh, Inspection is the type of book that you want to read sans spoilers to get the most out of it because there, it's just great to have it revealed by the author, not some dick who read it. Um, so... Please listen to the spoiler talk, but um, absolutely read the book first and then, you know, join in the conversation after that. Patreon.com slash booked um, to check out that spoiler talk after you read the book. Anything else you want to talk about before we wrap up? One really quick thing. Uh, um, there was so we got um, uncorrected advanced proofs from the publisher Del Rey. And and when you get one of those, it says like don't quote from the book until you get the, like the final copy, that kind of thing, because it's obviously not a hundred percent done. Um, and so I'm not going to, although I am going to. <laughs> it sounded like you were going that way. <laughs> There's one thing. So I was reading, uh, and I'm not gonna. I'll, I'll remove any spoiler information from it. But at one point, someone it has a bunch of stuff in a backpack, and it's called a backpack. And I was like, oh, that's a typo. And then I read, like, over the course of, like, a couple of chapters, the backpack is referred to multiple times, three or four times. Every time it's called a backpack. So I think that in this <laughs> made-up world, instead of a backpack, it's called a backpack. I feel like I should flip through my book because I don't remember seeing And I could see missing it once. I can't see missing it. A bunch of times. It was like four. Yeah, it was at least four times. And yeah, I mean, you know, and I don't think we need to talk about this, but Mallerman's a very solid writer. Um, story aside, like it's all just written very well. Like there's, you know, and, and this is something I'm sure we've mentioned before, but it's a, uh, it's very readable, like line by line, very readable and very well done. So not only does he have great storytelling ability, he's got, uh, he's got the just kind of um, operational chops too. And then there's one there's one thing I can't not I sent this as a screenshot to Livius, um, and it, it's later in the book so I won't say what's going on, but the synopsis mentions a character named Kay, and um, there's a line in the book that says, "But Kay had no choice," and that just tickled me because don't, don't say don't say why. Let's do this. Hit us up <laughs> on Twitter. Or Facebook, if you have any idea what Rob's referencing. I did right away, but my comment back to him is, I wonder how many people would get what you're saying as a reference to something. Yeah. So if you're out there and you understand why Kay had no choice is like a cute, funny kind of thing to read, uh, hit us up and let us know. That means Thomas Joyce is going to tell us. Of course. Thomas yeah. Joyce always listens and always has feedback for us. Hey, Rob, I'm going to let you go first on this one. It's no secret I've loved everything that we've read. By Mallerman, um, and everything we've read, I've read for the podcast. Uh, loved Bird Box uh, before it was cool. And Unburied Carol was awesome. Black Mid Wheel was awesome. Everything so far has been great. So I went into this um, with a very uh, you know favorable opinion of Josh's writing, and um, not really too worried that I would be disappointed. But I never expected to be so fucking impressed as I was with this book. And I, and I messaged Livius, I think maybe 25% of the way of the book. And I really wish I knew what I had said, but, um, uh, essentially I, I was just so impressed by his writing in general. I, oh, I found it. I said so far, I'm so impressed with Mallerman's writing. Uh, it's just so like Livius was just saying, like from a, a technical perspective so proficient it's such an easy read and it's just very very engaging and engrossing and such a unique idea i'm sure that ideas like this have happened before but um he 
just crafted such a great story. And and that's, I mean, at the end of the day, what I like about Mailerman so much is that it's obvious when he writes a book that he's as curious about what's going to happen as, as we are. And it's that kind of wonder that um, he has for the story he's writing that really comes through in this, but also just like, like Livius was saying, the dude's got chops, like, uh, like having a broad imagination and a rich kind of idea of a world that you could build is one thing, but being able to translate it from your brain onto a page is very difficult. And, and Mallerman succeeded very well at this. So, I mean, based on what I've said, you know my ratings five stars. I've also very much enjoyed everything I've read from Mallerman. Um, <clears throat> this one, I uh, the premise I thought was, ah, oh, it's a little science fiction-y. Science fiction's not really my thing. But, um, you know, what the hell, I'm going to go into it open-minded and give it a shot. I said in spoiler talk, which you may hear if you head over there, this is the sh- shortest 386-page book that I've ever read. And I say that because it just kept going. I wanted to know what happened. And I, there's, there are books that I absolutely love. And there are a number of books that I've read four and five times. And each one of those books has at least one distinct spot in it where I'm like, all right, I'm at that part. I'm just going to have to get through this part. So I can get back to being really into reading this where it starts to drag a little bit. Um, there is no such spot in inspection. Um, the story is, you know, I, I, it it has um, themes that have been explored before, I think, but not necessarily all in the same place. And I, I found it to be wholly original, but wholly original with things that felt and seemed familiar from other places. And that's not to shortchange the book. It's that it was grounded enough in reality and other things we've seen that nothing came off as too ridiculous. And in a book that, let's face it, on its premise can be a little ridiculous. And the things that were ridiculous we're written in a book and Rob touched on this a little bit, right? Like at some point, like it doesn't seem like they had an exit plan and you can see it going badly. Even when they couldn't, that was written into the, as part of the story. Um, I had a feeling I knew how this book was going to end. And all I'll say is that, uh, Mallerman, um, not just met, but exceeded my expectations for how this book was going to wrap up. And that's all I'll say there. It is written very proficiently. Um, as I mentioned, operationally, he is, he has got everything he needs and, and Rob probably put it a little better than I'm going to, but, um, yeah, he had a great idea and having a great idea and then translating that idea to the page so that somebody else appreciates your great idea is probably not the easiest thing in the world. And we've, We've read books on this podcast. We've read books in our, you know, off, off in our personal lives, right? In our non-podcast lives. We're like, man, this this story had a lot of things going for it, but it didn't quite deliver. Um, this is not the case in this book. Um, Rob mentioned this on social media, and I will say it here. Um, it's my favorite of Mallerman's books, um, which is surprising because it didn't involve the supernatural. I guess some people would classify this as horror. I didn't and don't. Um, but it's uh, it's interesting to see him tackle very different books. And the reason I say that is when you when you talk great horror writers, um, Stephen King, all of his books, most of his books, not all of his books, but the majority of his books have a similar feel. Clyde Barker, his books all have a similar feel. They all kind of take place in the same world. Josh's books don't. Um, and it's interesting to see him continue to deliver great, great product from distinctly different books each time. So got to be honest, I'm really excited to see where he's going to go from here. Thoroughly enjoyed this book, my favorite Mallerman book, which means it has to be five stars. So that's all I can give it. Two things. The first thing I wrote down our star ratings like five hours ago, having not known what we were going to give. And I was right. (laughs) The second thing, I didn't say this before, uh, but I, but I'm going to, because you, you kind of went there at the end of your review. Um, He's got he's very similar to Stephen Graham Jones in some ways because Stephen Graham Jones transcends genre and um and stuff often and he can write comfortably in, in so many different kind of worlds or styles um and still be like uniquely Jones. And I feel like Mallerman has that kind of rare talent too. Um and so yeah, I I, I describe both of them very similarly. When I said that Mallerman had kind of like a wonder 
about the story and he like he was curious about how it was going to go i always get that feeling from stephen graham jones as well as like someone who had an idea and writing the book is figuring out what it means um i feel like they both have that in common and um so when you said that i was like well i gotta mention it now <laughs> yeah i always worry about those guys though because i i worry that success in literature depends on a consistency in the type of story you tell yeah and i think i think by and large when you look at, at the the um the new york times best-selling authors the guys who are on there all the time they're all like i said like the stephen kings and the clive barkers or the daniel Steeles and mary higgins clarks right like they all tell a very similar tale right um, and I, I worry about guys like Steven and I worry about guys like Josh because I think they're brilliant writers and I don't think they should pigeonhole themselves from a personal standpoint because it's exciting. And I meant what I say, I want to see what he does next. Cause I feel like it's not going to be like the previous four novels. I think it is or five, whatever it is. You know what I mean? Yeah. But then I wonder like how many people pick this up expecting burn box and getting something totally different and, and, and using or allowing that to cloud their judgment of what a great storyteller he is. Sure. And I think that that's, I think that's consistent throughout history because if you think about some people who are, you know, known as an inventor, they also painted, but they're all only known as an inventor, like that kind of thing. And so mm -hmm. I think that history kind of tends to pigeonhole people to the thing that we like the most about them, um, which is so unfair. <laughs> <laughs> um and, and yeah will happen in pop culture for sure and it's fucked up because i used to only think um of myself when reading books right because a it's a very solitary thing that you do and b you don't most people don't get the opportunity um that that we have which is to be able to talk to some people that whose work we love like yeah. maybe nowadays but you know when i was 20 i couldn't just like fire off a Facebook post at Robert McCammon and let him know what I thought of his book. And then maybe, maybe just maybe get a response. Right. But we're in a unique position where I could reach out to Mallerman and ask a question and, you know, other authors that we've had on over the years or, you know, but now I worry about them. Like I'm worried, Josh, <laughs> you know what I mean? I want you to be successful. And I never really cared about an author's success before beyond my, I wanted them to have another book come out because I like their stuff. Yeah. So it, it it's weird because I start thinking about what can they do to get their stuff more widespread than before. I was just like, hey, I'm just happy there's a new, you know, whatever, insert author here, book on the shelf for me to read this week. Yeah, I get that concern, but I also don't want them to change their style for that purpose. I don't know. Um, I mean, it, like we've talked about Christopher Moore before and he writes the funny book so he could get to the serious book. So I feel like mm -hmm. um, he at least understands what he is, what his appeal is and sure. kind of leverages that to keep the machine going. Um, and, and hopefully these guys find a way to do that as well because um, yeah, they're fucking great. <laughs> yeah. All right. Um, we're going to try to get Josh on to talk about this book. I know it's coming out this week, so he's probably pretty busy, but we will try to have him on for you. Um, you know, originally, I know Rob and I were thinking maybe it's StokerCon, but uh, he's a guest of honor at StokerCon. I think we should probably uh, leave his time um, to the bigger, important duties that he has to do there. Um, so we'll see if we can get him on for you guys um, here in the near future to talk about inspection. And I just I really want to know what he's working on next. So yeah. that's that's kind of where I'm at. Like, I want to talk about inspection and there will probably it might be our first ever spoiler talk in an interview. Because <laughs> um, I have some questions that need some answering, Josh. Just saying. I love it. I love it. Um, I can't remember what it was. It was a review of something. Whatever we reviewed last of it, it had to be Unbury Unbury Carol, right? Um, uh, that would be the last thing from him. Yep. He said something about how he he listened to our review. I don't know if you saw this on like social media, but it was mentioned somewhere, and he said that him and Allison were like on a like a swing set in a park listening to it together. Our review. Yep. Mm -hmm. I was like, you guys are just so fucking like. There's nothing about this guy that isn't just like charmingly, like cute. No kidding. So good. Hey, let's watch this transition. So. I think we talked about this on the podcast about our plan right we had some books lined up that we were going to read yeah. 
Yeah, do you dude. know amongst like a ridiculous amount of very talented people that blurbed this book? Um, I'm pulling out my little. I don't know if you sound wow, I can hear that, yeah. yeah. That's that little uh, letter that they include um, with the book, which is printed on black paper, which I know isn't the case, but it's all black. Such so a they waste print the black around the words. Yeah, it is a waste totally. God damn it. <laughs> I know. And that's, yeah. Well, they use book branding is what it is. White, white letters on a black background. But the first person in early praise for inspection is an author named Alma Katsu. And she is nominated for a Bram Stoker Award for Best Novel alongside Josh Mallerman. So Rob and I talked a few weeks ago, and we are going to, because we're already three of five on having reviewed the Bram Stoker novel list, um, we're going to knock out the other two. Next week, that will be The Hunger by Alma Katsu, who said very nice things about this book. She's up against Josh for a Stoker Award, so we know there's got to be at least a little bit of animosity there, right? Probably not <laughs> from Josh. She seems like the nicest person in the world. I don't know this Alma lady at all, but I have to imagine one of them's got to be a little, you know. Yeah. Um, so to run down the list, we reviewed Unburied Carol by Josh Mallerman, Dracul by um, Doc Ray Stoker and J.D. Barker, and, of course, The Cabin at the End of the World by Paul Tremblay. So uh, next on the list, Alma Katsu and The Hunger, and at some point not necessarily the week after that will be Jonathan Mayberry's glimpse. So that's a, yeah. a little, a little peek into the future for you. And this year we will select our own Bram Stoker award winning author because we will have for the first time read all of them. So, yeah, that'll be interesting to see how we align with, uh, an awards ceremony or whatever. I mean, in looking at the list right now, I mean, I don't know. I mean, I guess I could pick from the three. Can you pick? You don't have to answer this, but can you pick right now from the three? Unburied Carol, Dracul, and The Cabin at the End of the World. I, yes. Yep. So we'll see what, where these other two, um, if that changes either one of our minds. Yeah. All right. That's what's coming up for us boys. Um, got anything else? I think I'm ready to head out. Uh, no, I think I'm good. Um, thank you for listening again. Um, next week we'll have, I was gonna say another horror book, but I'm not sure. I don't feel this, this inspection was <laughs> horror. So we're going to have a horror book. Alma Katsu's The Hunger. Until then, I'm Livia Snedden. And I'm Rob Olson. Keep reading. <laughs>